Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and you are listening to Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Rick Solom. Music is woven into the city of New Orleans in a way that should make every other city in the world envious. A stroll through the French Quarter is like being given a well-curated iPod stuck permanently on shuffle. But it isn't just a big show for the tourists. Nearly every take on the human experience has passed through New Orleans, headed one way or another on the Mississippi River, a wide and muddy artery that makes up the heart of America, and it has all seeped into the lives and songs of the Crescent City. Musician Rick Solom spent some of his formative years in Minnesota, at the very headwaters of the mighty Mississippi, but he was brought to California when he was only three years old and missed his first chance to get caught in the current that was destined for New Orleans. He made his way through school, studied classical music, and started a career playing the piano. At some point, he met and jammed with the famed New Orleans pianist and cultural emissary Dr. John, but Solom still missed the boat. At a session, when another musician heard that Solom had met a string of the New Orleans musical royalty over a period of years, he told Solom that it was a sign that he too should learn the ways of the boogie-woogie force. So Solom applied the diligence gleaned from playing years of classical music to learning the piano stylings of Dr. John, Professor Longhair, and others who made New Orleans famous, and it paid off. Rick Solom's swampy songs are fun and entertaining, and his music is downright virtuosic, and he makes it look easy. Welcome to Independence Day. Rick Solom. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going great. It's Thanks. a beautiful day. We're in Southern California. It's getting to be the end of summer. But man, I love California. Summer, spring, winter, fall. It's a beautiful place. You are someone I would call, like you're like a master of the style of piano that you play. But I'm going to let you tell us about it. What is this style? What, is, what do you call it? Well, the style that appeals to me and that I've been concentrating on for a long time now is... I, would, I guess you would call it New Orleans R&B, and uh, it originates, as far as I know, uh, in the late 40s in New Orleans. Uh, people like Professor Longhair and yeah. you know, even Fats Domino back then were uh, involved with you know, investigating that form. Yeah, but it's it's people call it boogie woogie now, sort of, right? That's kind of the the. Well, it's uh, it's an offshoot of boogie woogie that I'm concentrating on. Uh, yeah, boogie woogie. You can even go back to the 20s and find, you know, the beginnings of that, and uh, especially in the 30s, uh, uh, it was uh, Kansas City and you know Pete Johnson and you know yeah Mead Lux Lewis and all those guys in the mid 30s were. Uh, getting that style out there and and people were recording it a lot in the 40s but you know it's all blues really <laughs> you know yeah just different different versions very you know deviations from the blues now how did you like you you're from Minnesota originally i guess <laughs> yeah how did like a white guy from Minnesota <laughs> like get the bug like get bitten by this blues bug like where did that come from oh well, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it was appealing to me at an early age. I can remember being like five or something, and hearing you know Little Richard stuff, and going, I don't know what that is, but I want to know all about it. I want to okay. be inside that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes something just 
I mean, it doesn't matter where you're from. It just it just gets you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I studied classical music too. I'm, I I I hadn't been in Germany, but I really like Beethoven. Okay, know? and I really like playing that too. You know. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that's something. <laughs> I guess it's you know yes it's German but it has kind of a universal feel mm-hmm. to it like it's and it's plus it's much farther in the past so mm-hmm. it's had time to like disseminate throughout our society but like boogie woogie doesn't go back that terribly far yeah. in history 70, 80 years now. so how long have you been playing this style then you said you got bit by that bug but you were also playing classical were they things that you were playing concurrently all the way through your career were you kind of dabbling in each in different styles or no yeah, when I was studying classical music as a teenager. Uh, I was also way into, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, all the stuff that was going on, you know, in the 60s. And uh, they were into people that were before them. Right. And they talked a lot about that, you know. So, you, you know, if you're into John Lennon, he's going to tell you about Chuck Berry. And Chuck yeah. Berry's going to eventually lead you to Muddy Waters and, you know. yeah. It, it all kind of fits together. Yeah, you wonder, like, wh- you know, where did Muddy get it? Or where did Robert Johnson, I guess, go back to Robert Johnson, you know, because he couldn't have been the only guy doing what he was doing back then. No, it's not like Bill Monroe. Like, Bill Monroe, you know, widely credited with being the man who invented bluegrass. Mm-hmm. goes back to him. There were similar things going on, but it was his thing. And then everyone else started doing it after him. You know, blues, you go back to Robert Johnson, but he must have got it from somewhere, too. Yeah, yeah they were singing blues in the 1800s, you know. Yeah, it goes back to field, field songs and mm-hmm. enslaved songs, which then takes us back to Africa. I guess it just really goes back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> That's right. So you're trying to tell me Adam was a blue, bottleneck blues he did, player. He did. Yeah, he was a really good player. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So let's give a listen real quick. Let's jump right into this. Let's hear what you sound like. Uh, you've got a CD came out in 2010 called Shakedown Mambo, but this is a this is a duo. What yeah, is this? yeah. It's me and Phil Block. Phil Block's a drummer and a producer, and he really likes uh, the New Orleans thing as well. Okay. And we co-wrote a couple songs on there too. And we decided, hey, let's do a street thing. Let's do a thing like you're on in New Orleans and uh-huh. you're walking down the street, and there's two guys. You know, piano player and a drummer, and and that happens. They're, yeah. they're there, you know. So, yeah, let's make a record like that. Yeah, that is, I mean, having been to New Orleans, that's, or New Orleans, or however you pronounce it, New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> that's, um, that's very much a reality. Music is much more thickly woven into the fabric of the culture there. You can be walking down the street and just on people's houses. You know, something, and as a matter of fact, the Southeast is kind of like that too. Like I have some Southern roots on my dad's <laughs> side of the family. And, you know, we would go to the Armstrong family, family reunion every summer at this lake in steaming hot summer. And then, you know, we'd eat and there'd be a, like a potluck and there'd be fried chicken and okra and Beautiful. food and things. But then, you know, towards the end, you know, when the old men were sitting around in their lawn chairs smoking, like someone would pull out a banjo, someone would pull out a guitar, someone would pull out a fiddle, and they'd just start playing songs. Fantastic. And it's funny because I know that this happens. It must happen in the North because there are musicians there as well where I grew up. But it seems like it's much more prevalent in the South mm-hmm. than it is in other parts of the country. I wish our society did that more. Yeah, it's uh, it was probably more prevalent in the 1800s. Everybody yeah. had, even poor people out on the prairie got a, got a hold of a piano somehow. Yeah. You know? Well, before, I mean, well, if you go back far enough, before recorded technology existed, I mean, that was the only music. That's you right. had to actually play it if you that's wanted right. to hear a song. Hey, you know, bucko, play that song mm-hmm. in the saloon. You know, that's the only way you could hear your favorite song and everybody mm-hmm. would sing because that's, that's it. And then, you know, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, one of the people who gave us, you know, recording technology, nascent though it was, you know, it's just developed since then. And now it's in our pocket. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you can have your entire CD collection and, you know, or even, you know, if you've got a smartphone with it's connected to the internet, good Lord, you can listen to anything anywhere ever uh, that it was ever recorded. It's a blessing and a curse, Rick. <laughs> All right. My guest right now, my guest tonight, Rick Solom. He's a Los Angeles based boogie woogie piano player, but he does other stuff too. We're going to circle around and talk about all those different things as we get through our interview tonight. This is the track. Yeah, you're right. From a duo record he did in 2010 called shake down mambo. Rick Solom here on independence day.
Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right about that. Little bit of New Orleans style piano and drums from Rick Solom. You can learn about him at ricksolom.com. R I C K S O L E M. Solom. It's a good. Does it Swedish? What is that? It's Norwegian. Norwegian. Close. You were you were almost almost the almost same. exactly you know, right. Man, well, you're from uh, you know being from Minneapolis. I think almost everyone uh, I know from up there is either Norwegian or Swedish. So it's it's required. Yeah. 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 It's what's well, the whole Garrison Keeler thing up there too. <laughs> so man, it's so great to meet you. So great to talk to you. I mean, that's good stuff. That's oh, good stuff. I love you. the New Orleans thing. How can you not like that? Yeah. It's 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 you know I met this guy. Uh, I, first New Orleans guy I met was maybe almost yeah, a little more than 30 years ago. He was a drummer. His name was Harry Ravane. And uh, I didn't really know much about New Orleans music other than Fats Domino and, you know, the uh, Little Richard, the people that I knew about that were famous, you know. Right. I didn't know the underground or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> Harry did one of those things where he goes, man, I want you to meet a piano player. A real piano player. And I go, okay. So he drags me over to this house in the valley somewhere. And it's Ronnie Barron. Ronnie Barron was playing with Ry Cooter at the time. And he had, oh, he's got a big, he's from New Orleans. And he's a friend of Dr. John, Mac Rebenag. They grew up together. They literally in school. Ronnie and Dr. John and Alan Toussaint. Can you picture Dr. John sitting in algebra class? <laughs> I, I can't. In, in Catholic school. Yeah. Because it was, that's where they Yeah, that went. would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah uh, well, he didn't stay long. Yeah. There. <laughs> Maybe he didn't make it. Maybe just arithmetic. Maybe algebra was well, a little advanced. It's a pretty amazing story he has because, you know, he's studying guitar from one of the guys in, in, uh, in Fats Domino's band at eight. And he's learning like... Uh, uh, Delta Blues stuff, and the guy goes, "You can't get a gig with that stuff. You, you know, you got to do, uh, you know, more jump blues kind of stuff, more up tempo things." And you're showing him, "This is how you get a gig." And then by the time he's 12, along with Alan Toussaint, Toussaint and uh, uh, James Booker and Ronnie, they were all hanging out in the studio, getting kicked out at yeah. 11 and 12 years old, and they go over and. And that's that's graduate school for yeah. for for playing you for know? a musician. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Musicians learn a different way. That think you know you can of course study stuff, but if you're playing oral tradition music or, or popular styles, rock and roll, country, folk, bluegrass, jazz. I mean, you can you got to put your woodshedding time in to learn the licks and to learn the mechanics of how it's put together. Um, but you don't necessarily have to do that in school. You know, you don't sit in a classroom with a bunch of, you know, 15 other mandolin players and learn Bill Monroe style. I guess you can do that. There's places like the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago that teaches that kind of thing. And I'm sure most cities have something like that. But uh, a lot of that you do in bars mm -hmm. or you do in living rooms or you, you learn from other people. You watch and see what they do. Particularly when those guys were coming up, because that's 1950. Yeah. You know, that's a long time ago. And and. Yeah, it, it, it there wasn't even in jazz. There wasn't like you didn't learn it in in college. You went and you yeah. went into the clubs and and saw the guys that were doing it. And yeah. So how did you do it? Wow, I, I cir circuitous, I think, is the word I'm okay. looking for. Um, take, I was take us around that circle. Right? <laughs> I was playing in bands like everybody else, and. Uh, you know, actually doing top 40 stuff, doing just whatever I could, you know. 
And then I, meeting Harry was a, a good thing for me because I was trying to do a rootsy thing as much as possible, but I think a, my knowledge at the time was kind of superficial. And when I met him and Ronnie, those guys were steeped into a tradition that I just didn't even know about. And, and they turned me on to it, and, and I'm grateful for that. And <clears throat> Ronnie was a, a trip, man, because he's totally self-taught guy, and he was, you know, he was supposed to be Dr. John. Mac Rebenek was going to produce Ronnie Barron okay. as Dr. John. Ronnie couldn't do it, he, and Ronnie's a pretty incredible guy. He had four-octave range vocal thing. He, was, he had a contract with, I think it was Mercury or something at the time, so because of contractual problems, Mac ended up, well, I'll do it then. I'll be Dr. John. Okay. And it worked out. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but when I met Ronnie, it was a trip because I, I didn't really know about Professor Longhair or any of the, the people that I now or subsequently found out about. And Ronnie started playing that music. And it was, uh, it was a bit like only knowing, you know, Kenny G and then somebody plays you John Coltrane. Okay. It's like, oh, music can sound like that. Yeah. Oh, music has that depth. Yeah, you know, everything has that too, man. I mean, this is a funny analogy, but, you know, I grew up drinking crappy beer. Like, as a kid, <laughs> people would show up at parties with the crappiest, cheapest stuff you can imagine, right? And I never liked it. I thought it was the most terrible thing in the world. And then one day at a band rehearsal, a bass player brought in a... This was back in the early 90s. Brought in a six-pack of Samuel Adams Lager. Beautiful. <laughs> and I took a sip, and I remember thinking, wow. Beer can taste like something, mm -hmm. not just like crappy bread water. Mm -hmm. It opened up a whole other world of this other thing that I didn't know existed before. And then once you dive into that, you look, you know, it's, it's a whole different thing. You know, there's other ways about it. I think I've got a theory that uh, you don't really know something until you really do it. You know, I feel like if you, you know, people who, uh, like if you've, ever, if you've ever hung drywall. You ever hung drywall in your life? I've watched people do it. Okay, so <laughs> when you do that or you do painting, like say you do finished painting or carpentry and you go into somebody's house, like once you've done that kind of work, you go into a room and you're like, okay, yeah, that guy knew what he was doing, mm -hmm. you know, or that guy had no idea what he was doing, mm -hmm. right? So once you actually do something, and I think everything in life is like that, you need to be exposed to something to really figure it out. Walk a mile, I guess, in someone else's shoes is the basic, uh, basic point I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and it, it helps to to be introduced to the people that do it really well. Yeah. So who were the people even before like the blues and boogie woogie stuff that like made you want to play piano? Like who was the first person? Was it someone you knew? Someone mm. in your town? Was it a record you heard? You know, mm. what was it that made you say, "Man, I I want to play music." Hmm. Uh, I think it was probably my mother was playing organ, okay. you know, and I just saw her, you know, at 3 or 4 or whatever it was, and went, "That looks like fun." And then, yeah, I remember, uh, you know, when you go to malls and stuff and they'd have the piano player that yeah. we were trying to, uh, just fascinated with, it looked like magic to me. When you see magicians, you know, doing card tricks and, you know, things appear and disappear and all that, uh, playing piano looked like that to me. Okay. So it was a magical thing and you were drawn to it. Did you yeah. sing? Did you always sing too? Like through school? Or did you take classes in piano? Did you ever take lessons with this? No, it was uh, kind of like, you know, um, kind of catch it where, wherever you can. You okay. Know? And it wasn't really in school. Um, and a lot of people that I knew, I grew up in Orange County, 
and uh, and there wasn't a lot of people that were playing music that I you know was right. in, was involved with, and it really bugs me too because I've since talked to people. Uh, uh, Greg Lease was growing up in in I was in Anaheim and he yeah. was up in. Uh, in Fullerton. Renowned pedal steel player. Yeah. Big session guy. Been on a million records. I would have loved to uh, known that I would have, you know, if I went to uh, uh, Fullerton High School, it would have been a different story. He was yeah. up there with his friends and whatever. And we've since, you know, had this conversation like, I wish I went. Yeah. <laughs> I was over there just a couple miles away and didn't know you existed. It's a funny thing growing up because, you know, you, it's like any art, like this whole Donald Rumsfeld thing. Like you make art with what you have around you. You know what I mean? And turn mm-hmm. that, it includes people. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that you're around in you growing up, like my high school band, you know, we had, I had a pretty good drummer. You know, could never find a bass player. <laughs> Singers were dime a dozen, you know, and then we had one girl we roped in to come play keyboards, but, you know, she had kind of grown up like sight reading stuff. So anything we played, we had to kind of chart out for, which is a thing, because we were, the rest of us were just kind of going and going for it. Uh, so you can be very fortunate, you know, and then I think as you get older and you specialize what you're into in your life, you find more people like yourself. Like when you go to high school, like and you're in band, like, okay, those are the better people mm. who made it that far. Mm-hmm. And then you go even farther than that, you get into college maybe, or into the bar scene, mm-hmm. or touring, whatever you're going to do. And those are the people who are really into it, because now mm-hmm. they're really doing it. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you go even farther than that. You know, as you advance as a musician, sometimes it's harder to find people, because there are fewer of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. So tell me, tell me about like your first band, like your first high school band. Mm. What year was this? And what were you, mm. what were you doing? Like what, what kind of music were you doing? It's funny. I was, I was kind of isolated because uh, when I was a teenager, I was doing pretty much exclusively classical music. Uh, when I was 15 and a half. Piano? Star- uh, piano. Uh, my aunt turned me on to this uh, really fine piano teacher uh, she was really cool too. She was like 28, and a motivation to get to the lesson. Yeah, she looked really good. So, you know. And and uh, but she she her father was a composer and stuff. So it was real um, kind of a, a world I didn't know existed. Uh, and I pretty much stayed there. I had musician friends, uh, but I didn't play in bands with them. You know, uh, a friend of mine was playing bass at 15 or whatever and coming to school and falling asleep during class because he's working at night. And so I had those friends, but I didn't actually play with them. I was was concentrating on classical stuff. And then at what point did it switch from being a class? Were you you making money at playing classical music Mm -hmm. back then? So just kind of woodshedding. Just studying it because I I wanted to be a songwriter. I was into the Beatles and stuff and... uh, I re- I thought well, you know, uh, if you're a, a dancer, if you're Fred Astaire or somebody, and you know ballet, that can only help whatever you do. That can help your idea of what form is and whatever. So I figured, okay, I'll invest- investigate classical music for form and theory and stuff. And I was only going to do it a couple years. I ended up doing it like seven years. Okay. But uh, I did it basically to get. Uh, an, an overview of music to get legit, yeah, uh, or just understand what uh, bef- music was a mystery to me. You know, it was that magic thing we were talking about, and it was a mystery, and it, it wasn't clear to me. I knew what a C chord was and an F chord and whatever, but I didn't really know 
the full picture, how, how it uh, related to each other. So once having spent seven years studying classical music and like peeling back the curtain and like learning the mechanics of it, was it still magic? Yes. It got, okay. it got, it got more magical. Even ah. though you can see the inner workings and whatever, you don't know why. Well, sometimes you can't imagine how it works. It works yeah. beautifully, but I don't know, you know... Yeah. Uh, Somebody like uh, Stravinsky or something putting polyrhythms together in odd, odd sort of uh, uh, tonalities together, yeah. and uh, and how would that work? Yeah, this, this isn't supposed to work, but yeah. it does. And, and you you find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if you look, when you're on the, when you're standing in the grass, it just looks like a hole. But then once you're in the hole, man. Yeah. Like we said before, it's a whole other universe down there. And and you begin to see that everything is related. What Thelonious Monk is doing, that's related to it. When I got into Professor Longhair, Thelonious Monk made p- total sense to me because Professor Longhair is very syncopated and very uh, uh, quirky and where he puts uh, yeah. his, his uh, uh, improvisation. So it's the loneliest monk. Yeah. Now, there's. Do you know that story of monk growing up with a piano that was missing keys? It's, is there truth to that? I I don't I don't know. We need about to look that. that up. If I had a research assistant, I'd send them off to look that up right <laughs> this second. Because I I learned that the reason his chordal structures are so unique okay. is that he grew up dirt poor or, or poor enough, and there was a piano. He had access to a piano, but it was either the keys didn't work or it was just flat out missing keys. So he, when he learned to play, he learned to play with the instrument he had. That's Professor Longhair's story. I know that. Okay. That, that he actually learned from a discarded piano, a piano that was in an alley. And, and he basically uses the uh, uh, bottom end of the keyboard. He never really played the top much. Because he didn't have the top. Yeah. All right. Because that, so the co- whole concept of his playing is within a two octave range, you know. Yeah. But what he does in that, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Rick Solom. He's a keyboard player. We're getting deep into the history of uh, jazz music and keyboard music going back a long ways. And man, can he play this thing? Let's hear you play some of this thing, man. You've got a keyboard in here. You've got some all the songs that you're going to play tonight. All are all songs you've written. Yes. Which is amazing to me because it's in this style that's got such a rich tradition. You know, it's just like a tradition of playing these standards almost like like jazz Mm -hmm. but you know you've got your own compositions in this style what's this first one going to be uh this is called every little bit helps tell me just a little bit about this well uh i was putting together a record i was uh on the road with dave alvin this is the mid 90s and he was real inspiring to watch as a songwriter uh you know like you're not taking formal lessons but you're watching a person do their thing and how he puts records together and how you put sets together and how songs are structured and I, I got a lot out of that I appreciated being around him and, and uh, he inspired me uh, peripherally I guess yeah. to, to make this record and I was he's a, a roots oriented person too and very very knowledgeable about music all, all kinds of music. I learned a lot from him, and I'm grateful for that. And <clears throat> it just inspired me to go put a record together, and uh, the song came out along with 12 others. <laughs> all right. It's good that you got enough for a record, man. All right, so <laughs> this is Rick Solom with his track, Every Little Bit Helps, Boogie Woogie Piano on Independence Day.
The girls perpetually stoned The late nights in the bar rooms Have really taken their toll But under all that makeup The blue neon lights Hiring out of wrinkles Make with sagging tight Have a little bit helps Have a little bit helps When you ain't below the bell Have a little bit helps Here come the deacon In the Sunday bed Got a watch and a gold chain and a silver vest. Steps into his Lincoln, paid him fully in cash. Thanks the Lord, he's preaching to the working class. Have a little bit helps. Have a little bit helps. So help yourself. Have a little bit. White as a driven snow She's the cream in your coffee As the saying goes Wouldn't think I'd do What Juicy Lucy does So she lies awake and wonders What was she dreaming of Awesome. You're listening to Independence Day. That was Rick Solom. He's a Los Angeles-based singer, songwriter, and obviously pianist of note. Man, that was really good stuff. And my favorite thing about that song, it had what I call like the Freebird ending. (laughs) 
Because, you know, you, you start the tune, you, start, you kind of set the stage with that thing at the beginning, and then you play the song proper, as you know, with the arrangement, verses, mm-hmm. choruses. And then at the end, you're like ripping off licks, but then you do one thing in one style almost, and you shift it a little bit, but then mm-hmm. you shift it again, and then you get a little bit, you know, like out of key, like, you know, what jazz player knows when you're playing out, uh-huh. playing out of key, go a little bit out. Mm-hmm. And you come back in and you mix all this stuff together. And man, that was really cool. Well, thank you so much. I uh, have to say that's a, a whole lot of uh, Mac Revenag, Dr. John in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. But, you know, if you, you know, I think Eric Clapton said this, and he's probably not the first one. Like, if you're going to steal, steal good stuff. Steal from, <laughs> the, right. steal from the best. I think that's I'm paraphrasing right. a little bit. But, man, don't steal the crappy stuff. Steal the good <laughs> stuff. But, uh, man, you, you certainly know, you know, you know your way around the instrument. You know what you're doing. Um, in terms of, because like bluegrass and like a lot of styles, there's a virtuosic aspect to what you're doing. Absolutely, in bluegrass, absolutely. And then what you're doing as well. So mm-hmm. now where, did you just sit down and study Dr. John Records and other sort of stuff and like start comping licks off of him and then reassembling them yourself? Or like how does one learn those types of licks? That's a good question. I, I uh, When I was telling you I, I met Ran, um, Harry Ravane, and he introduced me to Ronnie. I got, a couple weeks later, Harry goes, get ready, we're coming over. And I go, great, good. Comes over, knocks at the door, opens the door up. It's Harry, it's Ronnie, it's Dr. John. And uh, this was 1980 or something like that. And we're out in the valley, so he was recording out here. And, you know, he'd just done the last waltz and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. I was living in a place with a couple uh, uh, brothers, uh, and uh, uh, Skip and Al Johnson, I can't remember. Yeah, that's who it was. And uh, we had a studio, and I had a piano in there, a grand piano. And all, all of a sudden, Dr. John and the guys come back into the studio. Now, my mind's already blown from from what... Ronnie did, but Ronnie's real street. It's like his fingers stick up in weird ways, and he's totally self-taught, but he's playing really cool stuff. But Mac is studied, and he can write charts, and he can do all this, but he can play real street if he wants to, too. And he sat down, and he whatever was left in my mind, he blew the rest of it away. Okay. You know? And I looked at that, and I went, this is so great, you know, but still at the time I was just trying to write songs. I was just trying to be a songwriter, maybe play songs wherever I could or whatever. And this music was interesting to me, but I didn't hear hit songs or anything, you know, it was just interesting. So I just kept, you know, playing with bands and doing whatever I was doing for the next five years or so. And uh, ended up playing with a guy, Preston Smith, and uh, he was a roots guy as well. And his bass player was from New Orleans. And I started telling him this little story about who I'd met and how and all that. And he goes, man, this is a spiritual thing you're getting involved with, man. I go, really? Oh, okay. And he goes, no, no. I'm from New Orleans. I've never met those guys. That means you've got to get into the style. And I go, well, okay, how do I do that? And he gave me a cassette of... Uh, Professor Longhair's uh, Rock and Roll Gumbo was a thing that he put out in 72 when he was sort of making his comeback. And uh, and that was my, you know, introduction. And I spent a lot of time with that little cassette for years. Now, you'd been playing for a while, so, you know, you could kind of, kind of 
just cop the licks off the cassette? Is that kind of what you <clears throat> that's did? How that, that's how I did it. And it's funny, too, because people are, you know, music that's meaningful to people. I mean, classical music was meaningful to people. My teacher would tell me, well, not making a lot of money, but when I go play, people cry, you know, whatever. You know, you, you affect people uh, in a deep way. Jazz does that. You know, cool, deep country stuff does that. Blues does that. And, uh, and this music does it, too, because I just was into the... I was ready for this. So I started learning this, the, the material on this cassette as much as I could. And I showed um, uh, Ricky Cortez with the bass player. I showed him what I was doing. He started crying. He goes, this is a lost thing, man. You know, this is a... I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah. You're keeping the flame alive. So I haven't looked back since. Yeah, and there's a there's an interesting mechanical challenge or technical challenge that goes that it has been since solved by technology, you know. And I I used to face this growing up, when you were learning stuff off of a cassette tape. Every cassette it was supposed to play at one and seven eighths inches per second. Is that right? If I'm remember fifteen sixteen, maybe it's fifteen sixteen. Well, maybe it's one fifteen sixteenths. I don't remember. I used to know exactly how fast it was supposed <laughs> to play per second on a cassette tape, right? But each one was a little different. <laughs> and right. so when you would sit down, you, now, right. your laugh tells me that you know exactly what oh, I'm talking about. Oh, something's a little fast. When you sit down, something's a little fast, a little slow. And with a guitar back back then, you could just tune the guitar mm-hmm. up. Like learning Van Halen was always interesting as a young guy because they always tuned down about a half step for David, make it easier on David Lee Roth, the singer. Right. Uh, but even then, they weren't like concert E flat. They were just whatever happened to be Eddie's guitar. You would tune Michael Anthony's bass to that, and off they would go, right? Because you only had to tune two instruments to that, and it was just kind of whatever it was. <laughs> but piano, you know, you're locked into whatever that. You can't just flip a switch. I mean, once mm-hmm. they started having digital keyboards, you could mess around with the tuning. But that wasn't even until the '80s. So that's right. So how did you how did you work around that challenge? You know, uh, just do the best you can. I mean. Uh, I wish I could have been smart enough when the in the old days people get the LPs and they'd slow them way down, you know, and they do all kinds of some people would, you know, record onto a little wallen sack, uh, you know, and then slow that down yeah. and play with that. I wasn't smart enough to do that. So Yeah. Well the Morantz, even when I was growing up, there was the Morantz cassette deck, like the professional uh like journalists used had a half speed thing. Oh yeah. But even then I remember looking in the music catalog, a paper catalog dating myself, you know, and it was like 200 and some dollars even back Mm -hmm. then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, that was out, that was out of reach for a 15 Mm -hmm. year old guitar player. Mm -hmm. So man, I mean, I don't know how I did it. You know, I just kind of do the best you can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you have friends that, you know, play it or whatever. And you see, well, he got, the four notes that I was looking for, and yeah, 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 and you share with your buddies, and then <laughs> then you're just off and running, man. Uh, let's play some more music here. You you're a songwriter as well. You know, you did all the studying. You studied the the Dr. John stuff. You studied classical music. You studied songwriting. Um, who were your songwriting like idols? Who were the guys that and girls that made women that made you want to write songs? Oh, easy. Uh, first, uh, Lennon McCartney. First. And then, you know, hey, in their way, uh, really like what uh, Jagger and Richards did. And, and you know, all the, the British invasion stuff I, I was into as songs, you know, as and um, a little later, uh, Randy Newman was yeah. important. And 
piano players started showing up that I, you know, the Elton Johns and the, and the, Leon Russell was, was interesting to me because he had that Southern thing and he, he could, he really understood the uh, structure of pop songwriting, but he also could put it in the idioms of, of uh, um, rock and roll and, yeah. and, and blues and, and gospel. Yeah, and then doing so much of this like blues kind of boogie woogie stuff that you do now, do you ever feel restricted by that style now that you've studied all these different songwriters? Because you didn't, you know, even though the Beatles were very much influenced by the same people, Chuck Berry, etc., you know, the, the the blues artists from the American South, um, they went far beyond that. And I'm sure you were into the stuff they did mm-hmm. in their later part of their career as well. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel restricted playing this stuff or, or, or do you get your rocks off in other ways with mm. other styles of music in different ways I, I think that's a valid point um, I, I don't think I'm trying to reinvent the wheel or any of that I'm, I'm just uh, exploring uh, grooves particularly that uh, that piano can do that's more interesting than um, a sort of generic okay. approach. You know, I'm I'm looking for. That's why I, I really do like the uh, the New Orleans thing, but I like lots of other stuff of roots blues, piano playing, and and uh, um, I like country. You know, uh, yeah. people that play uh, the Ricky Skaggs uh, yeah. kind of thing too. You know, I, I like lots of stuff, but what I write. And, and what I'm interested in playing personally yeah, has, at least for now, okay. has a real uh, New Orleans flavor. But it's not New Orleans like now. If we went to New Orleans now, yeah. and the young guys, they're not into what I'm about. I'm, I'm doing stuff that's yeah. sort of 40s, 50s area, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's great, man. Well, here's some more. You've got, uh, this is another one of the songs that you wrote. Uh, tell me what this is. Uh, this is a boogie-woogie thing I wrote for... Martin Harley over at uh, CMH Records, which is a bluegrass label. Uh, I met him in 1990, and he said, you got any boogie-woogie stuff? And I go, yeah. And, uh, and he says, well, write me something that uh, sort of has wordplay in it, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Louis Jordan or something like that. But know that it's going to go to a, a bluegrass group called the Masters, and they're um, going to be dressed like in uh, in tuxedos, but they're you know it's uh, Eddie Adcock and a couple of, you know, there was several people that uh, were in this that were, and the youngest guy was like 50 at the time, oh. <laughs> and, and they were all like studio cats from Nashville that okay. had been around forever. And, no pressure. Yeah, did the Earl Earl Scruggs, you know, the whole those guys. It was all a, a same group of people. And, uh, yeah, go ahead and write that. And I go, oh, all right. So I wrote this thing called Sugar Shakes, and he liked it. All right. Once again, so happy to bring you Rick Solom, the track Sugar Shakes on Independence Day. My whole earth quakes When my sugar shakes There ain't no brakes on me 
Sugar in my coffee, sugar in my tea Truckload of sugar ain't enough for me My baby's made of sugar, she tastes so sweet Working my way from my head to her feet Told my doctor my body aches He said, son, you suffer from the sugar shake Sugar shake Too much to take When my sugar shake My whole earthquakes When my sugar shakes There ain't no breaks on me Sugar in the morning, sugar at noon, sugar at night on a sticky spoon, sugar at midnight, sugar at three. I can't get enough of your sugar on me. Told my doctor my body aches. He said, son, you suffer from the sugar shake. Sugar shake, are too much to take. My sugar shake, my whole lift quakes. My sugar shakes, there ain't no brakes on me. I hit the speed of sound in neutral gear No slowing down with my sugar here Sugar keep me coming from a candy man Pouring out the sugar as fast as you can Told my doctor my body aches He said, son, you suffer from the sugar shakes Sugar shakes Too much to take My sugar shakes My whole earth quakes my sugar shakes, there ain't no breaks on, ain't no breaks on. This story is sad but true Enough of that sugar make a mess of you If you see my sugar on some dance floor Tell me where she is cause I want more Told my doctor my body aches He said, son, you suffer from the sugar shakes Sugar shake Too much to take When my sugar shake My whole earth quakes When my sugar shakes There ain't no breaks on me my sugar shake, too much to take. My sugar shake, my whole earthquakes. My sugar shakes, there ain't no bricks on me. My sugar shakes, there ain't no bricks on me. My sugar shakes, there ain't no bricks on me. Once again, man, I really, really wish we had a studio audience. When you do that kind of music, it makes me want to get up and jump around the room and slop, stomp my feet and, <laughs> and clap my hands. I mean, I, one of these days we got to do this and we got to do like a live show, get some oh, horns man. going, get some, some Big, right? get a real band going. Unfortunately, my neighbors, tolerant though they are, I don't want to be evicted. Uh, that was the song Sugar Shakes. And uh, there's a band called The Masters around 1990, Eddie Adcock, Kenny Baker, Josh is it Graves? Josh and, Graves. Yeah, and Jesse Reynolds, who mm -hmm. did that. It was a song that you wrote. Yeah, that was the Martin Harley uh, produced thing, yeah. All right, now do you still, with that something like that from 1980, do you still see mailbox money from something like that? 
Uh, well, I'm, I'm not retired. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, yeah, that's the funny thing. But like, it's more of a kick, you know, because I'm yeah. not a bluegrass player, but, you know, it was a kick to yeah. know that a song of mine could jump genres a little bit. Yeah. You know, when you get farther into music and you figure out the different styles aren't so disparate, mm-hmm. you know, they're disparate to the people who are just flat out consumers, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't like country. There was a thing on Facebook the other day, someone was saying they don't like country. Hmm. And I, I had to chime in. I said, hey, you know, there's actually some really, really fantastic country music. I mean, the stuff that your 13 year old daughter's playing is really only country because there's a, might be a pedal steel on it somewhere mm-hmm. or a violin on it somewhere, but that's pop music, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, then there's great pop music. There's great mm-hmm. music in every single style. You just mm-hmm. have to find it, what it mm-hmm. is. And you may not even like the style. Like there's, I'm not a heavy metal guy, especially. But I know there are bands who are very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can tell. I can listen and say, okay, I can tell what they're doing is good. Mm-hmm. You know, and good is as relative as it is. It's, I don't know. It can be qualified a little bit in terms of music. Yeah, yeah, I think if people are honest about where they're coming from. If something's crafted, mm-hmm. you know, and or, or has emotion, like punk. I wasn't really a much of a punk guy either. But I can I respect that, and punk needed to happen because mm-hmm. music, had, you know, rock as, at that time, the most popular music, had become very bloated mm-hmm. and very corporate, and, it, and that was a reaction to that. It needed to be something more raw. Mm-hmm. Or Nevermind by Nirvana when it came out and killed the hair metal bands. Yep. Thank God. Mm-hmm. It needed to happen. It's Every now and again, like a big disaster needs to happen to, <laughs> to wipe the slate clean and start everything fresh again. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off on a tangent. Rick Solom <laughs> is my guest here tonight. You can learn about him at ricksolem.com. Drop by his website, R-I-C-K-S-O-L-E-M. He has a very uh, verbose Facebook thing, but I'll say it anyway. Facebook.com slash rick.solom.5. And the funny thing is, man, Rick, I tried it without the five, and it didn't work. It went oh, somewhere no. else. Oh, no. So anyway, that's where you can find him. Technology is making our lives easier. You know, <laughs> my favorite quote, and it's my own quote about technology, is technology is great when it works. Mm-hmm. But when it doesn't work, God help you, man. <laughs> that's right. It's, you're, you're screwed. Anyway, uh, I'm glad we're laughing about this. And you can actually, you know, drop by the Independence Day website as well, indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. You can hear Rick's episode as well as 100-plus more episodes of some really great musicians, and I'm happy to bring you each and every one of them. So I've asked you to do something kind of unique here. You've got your piano set up, and we've got a vocal mic set up here. Watching you do what you do, it looks completely effortless. You know, just like we were talking before. I saw Randy Newman on Austin City Limits recently, and what he was doing seemed effortless. Mm-hmm. You watch somebody like a master, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, do what he does, or Monk, Thelonious yes, Monk, right. and it looks it looks completely effortless. And it honestly looks completely effortless when you do it as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You know, Fantastic. you're accomplished enough. So, but break it down for me a little bit. Like there's because there's right hand and left hand, and I watch you do what you do, and I play a little piano, but I'm not very good at it. So like, start off with a bass line, like play it at normal speed, like play anything you do, okay. like just any one thing, real quick. Well, here's a sort of a this is kind of a Jerry Lee Lewis, just a little bit, yeah, yeah Jerry Lee Lewis kind of thing. Yeah, so you're just kind of you're. You're doing a bass line with your left hand, mm-hmm. and you're comping with the right hand. Mm-hmm. Now, break it apart. Play just the bass line a little bit. Okay. And maybe slow it down just a little bit, too. Okay. This is something you'll hear Jerry do, Jerry do a lot. Right. And, and, so you... and when you break it down, the math of it, it's not super complicated. You're just playing roots, thirds, and fifths, mm-hmm. essentially, with your left hand. you got a little bit of a six in there, you know, with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but there's no blue notes, really. No. 
It's just, mm-hmm. And that, those are the flat third and the flat seventh, for those of you who are paying attention <laughs> with music theory That's at right. home. Play a major uh, major key, but you play a flat third or a flat seven over that. It sounds bluesy, there everybody. You go. There. There you now go. take that to the bank, Led Zeppelin, and make billions. That's of right. Dollars. That's right. So there's that. Okay. Now with your right hand, you know you're. It's some people call it comping. You're mm-hmm. Just comping along. Like do a little bit of that without the bass. Just kind of. Okay. Well, here's a, a real New Orleansy lick. You know. Now play that half as fast. Yeah, so you're the way you're inverting the thirds, the way you're playing your octaves, the way you're doing little arpeggios, that's what gives it the bluesy sound, and there's where the blue notes are coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Now, play them together kind of slower okay. so, you, so people can kind of see, like, you're assembling this, and like once it's all said and done, it looks effortless, mm-hmm. but it can be broken down, and you can learn to do this. Absolutely. All right. So give it a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. This style is so much fun. You know, that's the thing is, you know, like Dr. John, the guys who are playing this, Professor Longer, Alan Toussaint, these are things that came out of not, well, I mean, Dr. John has studied, like you said before, but like a lot of this is just oral tradition, stuff mm-hmm. that people would play in a bar. And, you know, it's out of gospel too. Yeah, you know? definitely. Like, uh, and so the call and response, that's church stuff. Then that's also, you know, tribal things you know yeah it really gets deep yeah 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 so give me i mean show me something else like when you were learning this what what, what was the what, something was challenging for you like on the piano like when you because you, you studied classical music and then you start playing jazz you start playing boogie woogie you start playing mm-hmm. blues new orleans style music was there a hitch anywhere or something that opened the door like mm-hmm. i learned you know what travis picking is on a guitar i don't it's what where you that? keep the bass going while you're kind of playing art like melodies over oh, the top of it okay. like i learned that very late like i was in my 30s by the mm-hmm. time I, i've sat down and learned to do it because it's different than strumming and it's different okay. than just picking and it's it's kind of doing two things at once mm-hmm. and i sat as a 30 something year old and it's half for hours mm with a metronome going to do this i'm going to learn this if it kills me great you know? but then it like once the once it clicked it was in and it's good and now I can I don't even think about it I mm-hmm. do it but was there something that was a challenge or like what was the thing that got it to click for you well particularly um, that um, cassette I was telling you about that rock and roll gumbo was was really it, it was a key because I'll just give you a, an example of here's what he uh, professor longhair would do with a pretty straight ahead blues we're used to hearing you know uh, fast domino do something like that we've heard that yeah. you know so longhair does it too i mean it was around forever there but but he does it like this so he's already changed it a little bit syncopating it a little bit and now he's going to do this on top So it's, okay. it's a whole language that he's coming up with, you know, okay. in that idiom. It's it's not changing the idiom. It's you know, it's right. it's finding new things to do. It's like rapping in a different rapper. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. The, the, the gift is the same, but it's like different wrapping paper for a different season. It's a birthday. It's a wedding. It's a bar mitzvah. Whatever it is. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's almost like the rap community, the rappers. You know, where there one guy tries something and then somebody else, you know, yeah. uh, adds to that or does does the opposite of that. But it's all the same idiom, but it's being 
messed with. It's yeah. Been, yeah. So Rick, what would be one more step complicated than that? Like we've talked about, you started with the most elemental form. We slowed mm. it down. We did each hand separately. We added them together. You took Fats Domino. Then you added that other, you know, who's the next guy? Um, well, uh, Professor Longhead yeah, Professor was Longhead. one, yeah. Okay, but then, you know, what you're doing even has more to it than that. Like, what, how do you get from that to what you're doing? Like, what, is mm. there an intermediary step? Like, what do you add to make them different? Not real sure. I think it's just, you know, what it is, is just living with it and breathing it and just letting it, you know, like, add unto itself, you know, okay. as you keep going. But to to let you, let you understand what... Um, the door opening for me is uh, there was another piece on that rock and roll gumbo thing that I had heard. I had read somewhere that uh, this intro was a mystery to uh, uh, Art Tatum, who you know, wow. like incredible. Yeah. But Art Tatum heard this and said, "I don't know what that is." It's you know, and so it, it's like it's not so much million notes or anything like that. It's just idiosyncratic way of approaching music and I'm uh, there it was a, a tune that Longhair did and it was let's see if I can think of it okay so it's which is a horn thing you know it's like those so everything that that I hear Longhair do is either sounding like drums in the left hand or the uh, the brass bands going by because yeah. it's all parade music you know right. <laughs> so, yeah. so you really hear the culture in, in, in all the stuff that they do yeah it's like it, it's impossible not to hear the culture yeah and you know that's the thing about piano and guitar you know polyphonic instruments which means you can play more than one note at one time mm -hmm. like a horn player without doing some kind of crazy thing to the horn can only play one note at one time so to get a horn uh, harmonies, you have to have horns, plural, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have an instrument like guitar or piano, and they can kind of take the part of the whole band. They can mm -hmm. be playing some bass with their, you know, your left hand or on with your thumb on a guitar, mm -hmm. and then you play melodies on top of that, which makes them polyphonic instruments, and they're emulating these different things. Um, and, it, and piano is even more interesting to me because in some ways it's more restrictive. You can't bend the notes. Mm -hmm. On a guitar, you can bend the notes. You can get any gradient between, you know, A and A flat, you know, or any of the 12, right? But on a piano, you're locked into those 88 keys, which are divided up more or less by half steps, mm -hmm. right? But you can emulate everybody and it's such a versatile instrument man i wish i was better at piano i guess what i'm getting at rick i wish i was better at piano i'm a hack i i am a uh, frustrated guitar player uh, yeah. i've actually written stuff that um uh in my mind it's uh it's delta blues okay you know and that i've written uh it doesn't sound like that when when you hear it on piano but i actually there's a particular song i wrote that i did on piano uh, sort of, it sort of sounds strangely bluesy and gospely when I do it, but uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Termas, who's a really good songwriter and a multi-instrumentalist, uh, helped me, and he's a great delta player. 
So he put the song. I was just curious about what the song would sound like, and he put it together for me. Okay. And uh, and yeah, it sounds like one of those old blues guys, you know. It was like yeah, yeah, that, yeah. The Delta thing. There's a thing I learned from Tom Waits, which is that uh, you know he play he likes to play instruments he doesn't know how to play very mm-hmm. well because it's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way. Like if you look around my apartment, I mean I can. I can see, I mean, I don't even have anything out and I can see six instruments sitting here of different instruments. Mm-hmm. And I like to do stuff because those happy accidents and those mistakes are where the inspiration for me comes from. Absolutely. You know, so it's, I'm glad to hear that you tinker with other instruments as well. So, man, we've got about enough time for like one more song. What is this going to be, man? Uh, this is something off of the Shakedown Mumble record. Uh, this is, I wrote this in a very weird mind space, but... Uh, Weird can be good, right? You know, it was one of those things I'm going, the phrase, you got to be kidding me, was just, uh, it was uh, it was humorous to me in okay. some kind of way. And this is, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And uh, you know how it is. You start with a with an idea and you've got a couple chords and things start staring back at you. Pretty soon this 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 story came out uh, and it and it had uh, ethereal qualities to it that i had no idea it was going to go so it was it's always fun to start a a tune one way and it, and yeah. it turns into something else. Yeah, man. Well, songs, I let them be what they're going to be, man. That's, mm-hmm. I'd let the song tell me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can push them, but they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. They're like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Rick <laughs> Solom right. here on Independence Day with one more track. It's called You Gotta Be Kidding Me on Independence Day. Posterity. I looked up at the good doctor and thought you got to be kidding me. My school felt like a prison. I got parole eventually. But when life didn't get no better, I thought you got to be kidding me. For the perfect woman To hand me some harmony Wouldn't love answer every question Nah, nah, nah You got to be kidding me
Sunlight is trial and error You only need the copper plea And the verdict can't be clearer now You got to be kidding me Pete said, boy, you got a problem Your attitude, your destiny So we're sending you back to try again Oh, no, you've got to be kidding me Man, I love hearing the minor key stuff. That's Rick Solom here on Independence Day. You can learn about him. Drop by his website, www.ricksolem.com, S-O-L-E-M. Please drop by the Independence Day website as well. I've got a lot of great music there, www.indepthday.com. We're also on Facebook. We're also on Twitter. Uh, we are everywhere. Not on Instagram, but I think maybe someday we will be. I'm, I'm, I think I'm grammed out. I've got there's too much to keep <laughs> up with, man. Uh, man, Rick, it's been really, really fun talking to you. It's been fun learning about music. It's been fun learning about how you do what you do, where you came from, where you're going. Well, so what's what's next? What are you doing? I mean, you're gigging these days. You're doing session stuff. You're writing for films. What are you up to? Well, all of the above, you know, as much as I can do. Um, I'm really trying to get out there as a solo songwriter, but it's funny. You try to do one thing and then other things come around and I'm working with a couple different people now on duo projects and uh, I don't know uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to make a new record pretty soon here okay. but uh, I'm, I'm working up to that yeah that's a good feeling man but it's a commitment once mm-hmm. that, once you jump mm-hmm. into that it's uh, it kind of takes over your whole life and your mm-hmm. apartment at least it does for me <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, That's right. so Rick, man, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. It's been great having you in here. I wish you the best of luck. Please stay in touch and let us know when that record comes out, okay? Thanks, Joe. And thanks for having me on your show. It's been my pleasure. So thanks to Rick Solom, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The dapper Tony Tonelok Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything, please be good to one another.